Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we interview newsmakers and thought leaders and cover the incredible lengths people go to to create their families. Today's episode is supported by Donor Egg Bank USA, who understands that the road to parenthood isn't always a smooth one for everyone. That's why they offer the highest quality frozen donor eggs and a variety of financial plans, like the Assured Refund Plan, which includes their live birth guarantee. Bring home a baby or receive a 100% refund. Visit DonorEggBankUSA.com to find out more. You may know my guest, Camille Gwadi, from her many roles in TV and film, including popular movies and series like Gotta Kick It Up, Prison Break, and Scorpion. But what you may not know is that behind the scenes, Camille struggled for many years to get and stay pregnant. So first day shooting, I feel like I'm pregnant and I'm on hormones. You know, they're giving me progesterone and all this stuff to like hold everything and make my body pregnant, feel like it's pregnant. And I got my period. And I'm getting like knocks on the trailer door being like, you know, they're ready for you on set. And I'm like, just in absolute tears. And I like just the, when you see your period, like it's just so devastating when you try so hard. And I remember going out there and they're just like hair and makeup and people are like looking at me. And the only person who knew that I was doing this was my wardrobe. And he goes, what happened? And I'm like, I'm, I'm I got my period. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And and the most messed up thing is, is that my character was pregnant. So here I am playing this girl who's just finding out, this woman who's just finding out she's pregnant. And I'm like, this couldn't be more polar opposite of my life right now. Since getting pregnant via egg donor IVF in 2019, Camille has been quite public about her experience and why she not only doesn't hold shame for using an egg donor, but feels a source of pride connected to it. On this episode, we talk about why Camille realized she may need to move on to third-party reproduction, what she wants others to know about it, and why she's used her public platform to share her experience and her infertility journey so widely. Thank you so much for being here. How does it sound to just hear it back? Does it still surprise you? What do you feel when yeah, you... Yeah, I mean, I definitely get emotional when hearing it. It's because it just is so reminiscent of, you know, the journey that I went through, but also where we are today. And and I'm really proud that I decided to speak about it because there are so many women and men that I've... I mean, you should see my inbox just like fluttered with people showing me pictures of their kids that, you know, their babies, they're finally pregnant. And I definitely go along the ride with a lot of people and help them out. And, and in the end, hopefully it's not always a hundred percent, but in the end, there have been so many beautiful miracles and yeah, it just makes me really proud. I love it. I did see in your face, just you, you feeling the intro as I was speaking it. And I think that's so true for so many of us who have been through these trenches of yeah. the hard path to parenthood. Before we go Gosh. into all the steps and the experience and, 
your life on on the infertility journey. I'd actually love to step back. I love to ask guests, you know, who are you outside of that? Because so often, I mean, we, of course, focus on that journey. It's the pregnant podcast, but I'd love to learn more about you. Who are you? Do you know what? I don't know. I'm a mom. <laughs> it's like, boy, it's so funny because I think the minute I started embarking on this whole infertility you lose yourself because everything becomes about that. And I've had the many conversations with people before where they're like, you know, who are you or how are you? And I'm like, everything is this right now. And now that I'm a mom, everything is being a mom. But I'm stepping into that zone again of like, I have to like finding my identity. So I'm a wife. <laughs> I mean, I love to cook. I love to exercise. I love trash TV. <laughs> Is trash I'm, reality what's trash TV? Yes. I just love reality I love, TV. I know. I love it too. I just too. can't. It's like a sense of escapism for me. Someone's like, well, don't you want to read books? I'm like, I read scripts for a living. I just like, I don't, I want to shut my brain off. And I don't want to make a commitment to like a long, you know, show. And don't get me wrong. I love good shows because I'm also watching very good TV. But I love to turn off and watch Love Island or The Bachelor. Oh, my gosh. I love it, too. We've had so many of them on the podcast. I don't know if you know that. Oh, my gosh. If you look, Camille, you'll be in a great lineup with reality stars. Oh, good. (laughs) Because, yes. Well, the thing that I love about the reality stars and you of course. But the thing I so appreciate is the openness because you cannot be in unscripted. I've hosted unscripted TV shows. You cannot be in that world if you're not willing to step it up and like just be vulnerable and be authentic. And sometimes a little too much information or a little too authentic. But which is amazing as a viewer. I'm just like, yes, yes, it's not boring as a viewer. (laughs) So you spoke about your wife. I, I know a little bit about your husband. How did you guys meet? We met, it was very random. I was outside of a bar and he was walking by and he knew somebody that was outside and someone introduced, do you know that guy was from prison break? And he's like, has no clue. He's like, whatever. He's from England. So he's like, I don't even think I know prison break. But then we got introduced. Long story short, we exchanged numbers and I lost his number. He called me and I was like, not going to call him back. So it was like a plus four, four number Blackberry days. Uh, and I was like, this uh, is going to cost me money. I lost his number. He didn't call me back because he was like, oh, this girl just didn't respond. And then I ran into him hiking a week later. Oh. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy I ran into you. I'm like, I lost your number. And he's like, right. That but sounds like, like you, the dog ate my homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, really? I'm like, no, I swear to you. It just like disappeared for the Blackberry. When you saw him again, were you instantly connected? Like, this is so meant to be. Listen, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was reading some book about taking a, you know, hiatus from dating. But I was on the hike with a male friend of mine. And I said, I met this guy. And I'm like, He's the one person that I would like skip the hiatus for. And then I'm not kidding. It was like right in the beginning. And here he comes like walking down. Oh my gosh. He had like long hair and his hair was like flopping. And I'm like, (laughs) Simon? And he's like, nobody calls me Simon. And I'm like, (laughs) Simon? It's like, do fat see a date? I was like, yes. My friend's like, what the heck? (laughs) And he's a musician? Yeah. All of that. Producer, composer, 
and now going to be going to school. So he's wow. going to become a psychologist. So that's so cool. All, but also, yeah. I think you guys get each other that way, even though he hadn't heard of your TV show, the world of production, the world of, you know, you're not my husband's a public school teacher. And when I'm in the media, he, it's just another world. You know, completely. Right. Um, yeah, I love that. So at what point when you were dating Cy, did you discuss future goals, family goals, marriage? Do you remember? Was it even on the radar? You know, it's in like in the very beginning, it was on my radar. And I was, you know, because I had friends at the time that were having kids. And so it kind of made my ears perk up a bit, like maybe this is something that we should consider doing. And I was 33 at the time, but he kind of wasn't in any position. He's younger than me. Women out there. I love it. Remember this situation. But I still didn't, at the same time, I didn't push it because, you know, I was flourishing in my career too. And I always had this thing where if I stop the ball from rolling, then where am I going to be? And I was very afraid that the, you know, industry was going to stop if I stopped Mm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not wrong to think those things. Like the business is very, was at least is changing, but was very one-sided and not very open to women having children. And, you know, it's a business where you have to be, look a certain way if that's what you've been cast as, you know, and, and you got to continue that persona. <laughs> and unfortunately you can't look like, you know, a model's belly, pregnant belly. When you're pregnant, you want to be able to enjoy yeah. yourself and enjoy your pregnancy and look however you want to look. You know? Oh, it's so true. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but I hosted a show years ago, actually a pilot for TLC called The One That Got Away, which is the show that got away because it was so good. So good. But it was the wrong network. It was the right show, but the I wrong network. You. I know you've been there. But uh, yep. I remember the contract stipulated that, should I change my hair? Like, I'd right. have to notify people. So I think, yeah, yeah, a pregnant belly would be a, yeah, of course you had to think like that as your career is flourishing and growing. Yeah. But was it in your heart? Did you know you wanted to be a mom and you were like, we'll pursue that another time? What was your thoughts around that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've never once thought of my life without children. It was just a question of when. And I always thought, I know this is going to sound so cliche, but I was like, well, I'm Latin. I mean, I'm going to pop out a million babies if I can. You know what I mean? And I just didn't foresee a problem, which is so nice. So common. So common. So common. Of course, this is part of my whole advocacy for women and fertility. And it's not just donor. You know, I'm not just advocating for people to use donor eggs or to get build their family, I advocate for women to learn about their fertility because we just don't get told enough. Um, And you can never get told enough. There's no such thing as too much information when it comes to your own health and body. And when it's your deepest value, as you said, you always imagined a family, building a family. When it's your highest stakes value and you don't know, you don't have the information or the knowledge, that's really sad that we've in a way, we've been failed there because school teaches us, of course, how not to get pregnant, but not what happens when we can't. And as a Latin, and we've heard that a lot from African-American women and men and all kinds of people who are left out of this conversation. Yeah. And I think it's important to just start talking about it. And because I feel like, like I heard it from my mom, but it's a different relationship when you hear it from your parents being like, hurry up. 
you know, your clock's ticking, it feels like, oh, enough already, mom. Like, yes, I'm going to have a baby someday. Or yes, I'm going to get married. Like, you know, when you hear, you know, your clock's ticking, it has a negative connotation where it almost makes you be like, just like, I got it. Don't worry. And you don't explore that. But when you hear it, with your peers talking about it or, you know, now podcasts and women just really getting in front of it. I think it becomes something different. You know, it's like as a wife, I can tell my husband certain things, but he won't listen to me. But a friend will tell him the exact same thing. And he's like, you know, this guy came back. My friend came back and told me this thing. And I was like, oh, really? That's exactly what I told you last week. I'm like, (laughs) well, good. I'm glad you listened. Do you know what I mean? It's like coming from that. It's like depending on where you hear it from, it resonates more. Totally. And I'm so glad you're using your voice and platform to just normalize it, too, for that reason. Because sometimes if it's just kind of everywhere and you're seeing it more than once and hearing it more than once and it's normalized, it just takes on a very different meaning than how you said, you know, with some shame or some judgment or the shoulds. You should do this. You should that you do that. You're instinctively going to say, well, I want to a should suggestion. You're always going to respond with what. And that's just, yeah, that's not a good. You turn um, into like almost like the teenager that like is going to like rebel, you know, well, I'll show you. (laughs) And then you're just hurting yourself in the end. No, it's so true. I was reading in preparation for our interview because you have shared in the last few years and I've just so enjoyed reading about it. But I heard this quote where you said, you know, you had an issue and I'm reading it right now. Another woman's egg in my body that kind of freaked you out. So I guess just stepping back before that, at what point did you know you might need to look into it and what happened next? You know, it's funny. It wasn't from me. It was my husband who said he actually had a friend who was a doctor and they were just, you know, doing man talk. And he goes, maybe you guys should um, get checked. And I was like, checked. What do you mean? He goes, go to this fertility doctor. He's my friend. And I I was like, great. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So we had been trying. This was around 30. I was 37. Mm -hmm. We've been trying for some time, maybe like six months. It's so funny because you really do think like it's going to happen like the first. And the first time I was like 10 days late. I'm never late. I was like psychosomatic. Like my boobs were big. I'm like, I'm pregnant. Yeah, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And I wasn't. We went to this infertility doctor and they do, you know, your levels, your AMH levels, which anyone who's going through fertility will know that those are the first things that you check out, AMH, FSH. And these are the levels that tell you, you know, they're not like a hundred percent, but they're a very good barometer as to where you are fertility wise, like your egg count, follicle count, like all of that. So I did this and he sits me down, us down, and he said, you know, so your insides are not matching your outsides. And I said, oh, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, you look really young. I was like, thank you. He's like, but your insides are that of a 50-year-old. And I was like, okay. And so what is, what is this? What does it mean? And I'm For anyone who knows numbers with AMH, I was 0.54 at 37, almost 38 at this point. And that's really low. Not impossible to get pregnant, 
but really low. So he said, you need to do this now. And I just remember that being, I think I was still in shock when I was hearing him say this in the office. I remember they took us to like another room and I was talking to the nurse and I was like, just tell me again what's happening here. Because I I just didn't expect this at all. I expected it to be, you want to get pregnant? This is how you can get pregnant like tomorrow if you wanted to. And but he was like, no, if you ever want to be pregnant, you're going to have to, you have to go through this. And I said, but I can get pregnant, right? I will get pregnant. And they said, yeah, but it could take a while. And I was just like, what is happening? So I think that was the first time that I, you know, I was like, okay, this is not what I expected. And I really need to do some homework. Do you remember what happened next? Did you and Sai talk about it? Did you talk to friends? Did you go to Google? Like, do you remember after that? Everything. Everything. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I mean, we did start right away. First, we talked to our parents because it was really expensive. And Screen Actors Guild Health Insurance doesn't cover any fertility treatments, which is something that I am putting on my list to change because it's just stupid. I mean, here we are in front of a camera and we do wait a long time to get pregnant. And or some women don't get pregnant because of their job mm-hmm. and there's no fertility coverage. Like that's just insane. But that's the subject for it. No, it's so important. It's like that. It's yes. So yes. But yeah, but you realized you, yeah, you had to financially stretch yourselves in addition to the emotional process you were going through. Yeah. You know, cause it's a big chunk and we weren't like expecting it. So we talked about it for a second and then we like jumped on it. I think by the time, I think it was just a few months in after that news that we started treatment. In hindsight, I maybe would have waited a little bit and done some, you know, acupuncture and maybe taken some more vitamins, like really prepped my body. But I think I was in such fear mode. And I also was in belief that this was going to work the first time. I, I didn't really quite grasp what he was talking about. So which led to a massive letdown when it didn't work the first time. And I only got, I got four embryos, actually five embryos, four survived. And then we tested them and none of them were viable. Ugh. But, but here's another tidbit of information I use. So I learned later So take it all with a grain of salt and do your due diligence, whoever's listening, and this applies too. But I found out later that those embryos were called mosaic embryos. Mosaic embryos are kind of like spotty embryos where when you test, when you do a PGD test for an embryo, these guys are so tiny. And the needle that goes in just pulls out a tiny portion of this embryo. And that portion that they pulled out and tested turned out to be abnormal. But if you would have done it again, you may have gotten normal from the test. So those are called mosaic embryos where they can turn into viable pregnancies. Yeah. And they're often inconclusive. Like what I've heard, we had a mosaic at one point and I remember the doctor saying, don't discard it because I wouldn't use it first, but you definitely may want to use it because something like 50% of the time it corrects in the body. So it's not known. It's not that it's abnormal. It's just not really known. So you had mosaic embryos, which were called abnormals. And then that's just so devastating, I know. So what happened after that? And after that, 
I kept on hearing about this other doctor, so I wanted to try this this other doctor, Doctor Andy Wong, who's <laughs> I saw on the Kardashians. Do I watch that? <laughs> yes, but I saw him after the fact, and I was like, "Is your office so busy because you're on the Kardashians?" He's like, "I can't tell you. She's a client." I'm like, "I saw you on the Kardashians." <laughs> <laughs> I found him, and I thought he was like amazing, and I loved his bedside manner. Problem was that I booked a TV show, which was going to shoot in Atlanta. So he said, he put me on a plan. He goes, listen, why don't we do this? Why don't we do an IUI and see if that works? I said, great. So we did an IUI. The first day on set, I remember I'm in my trailer ready to go out. And this might be TMI, but... We're all TMI here. <laughs> okay. So first day shooting... I feel like I'm pregnant and I'm on hormones. You know, they're giving me progesterone and all this stuff to like hold everything and make my body pregnant, feel like it's pregnant. And I got my period and I'm getting like knocks on the trailer door being like, Camille, they're ready for you on set. And I'm like, just in absolute tears. And I like just the, when you see your period, like it's just so devastating when you try so hard. And I remember going out there and they're just like hair and makeup and people are like looking at me. And the only person who knew that I was doing this was my wardrobe. And he goes, what's ha what happened? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not I got my period. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And, and the most messed up thing is, is that my character was pregnant. So here I am playing this girl who's just finding out this woman who's just finding out she's pregnant. And I'm like, this couldn't be more polar opposite of my life right now. Wow. That was probably your biggest acting performance imaginable. Uh, well, there was another one that was even more traumatic than that, but led to my child. Okay. Well, tell me about what, what, what was that? That one. So at the, this is at the very end when we decided to use a donor egg. And I thought, you know, using a donor, it's going to be the end all be all. This is it. You know, my body isn't working, but she's young and viable. And so we were using a donor that lived in Mexico. And I was on a show playing a 38 week pregnant woman. And I couldn't go to Mexico, but I was like, well, you don't need me. You just need my husband to like do the deed and, you know, do get the embryos. And when he was there, the woman was doing, she had to do the trigger shot and then, you know, they were going to remove her eggs and they FaceTimed me and I have all this, which someday I'm going to make something with this, but I FaceTimed, I was like videotaping, I was taping it and they're putting the pregnant belly on me and I'm like, tell me the good news. How many eggs did we get? How many eggs did we get? And and the doctor sitting there, a size, my husband's crying in the background. I'm like, what happened? It's like, well, she messed up. I said, what do you mean she messed up? And she messed up on the trigger shot. Now, the trigger shot is the one shot that, like, if they tell you 4.01 a.m., you need to take it at 4.01 a.m. So she took it at completely the wrong time and ovulated all of her eggs. So here I am, the scene that one of the scenes I, my, I literally, my character gives birth, and then I have to hold this, or it was a real 14-day baby oh my gosh that they had to bring on set and i was just like and i was working with friends on this show and they all knew a friend that was on that last show with me so that she knew my fertility journey and and uh i was just bawling and then i just came to set and i was like numb and 
they said, oh, we're going to, we're going to strap you into the gurney, you know, this hospital thing. And, and I was like, oh, we're doing this now. Like, yeah. I'm like, are, am I having the real baby? Am I having a fake baby? Like you're having the real baby. And I was like, but I felt nothing at this point. I was just like, I'm tapped out. And I was like, okay. And I just sat there and they're like, everybody quiet on set, real babies on set. And I see this like baby and ugh, I just get chills thinking about it. And when they put him in my arms, I'm like, the cameras were not even rolling. And I was just like, like just, it just hit me. I'm like, this is like five years of trying to get pregnant. And I thought this woman was going to be it. And now that didn't work. And here I am having to act with this child, this newborn baby in my arms. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Everyone's like, are you okay? Is she okay? Like, is everything okay? And my friend, thank God, was like, can we just give her a minute? Can somebody hold the baby and give her a minute? <laughs> and I was speaking to one of my friends, Kalei Stewart, actually, is also advocates for women yeah, and fertility. Yeah, we know her, too. Yeah. She's awesome. She's awesome. And she was telling me, she's like, Camille, she's like, you know what? She's like, that was your preview. Like, you know, she's very faith-based. And she was like, God was giving you a preview. Like, that was a boy. And that was your boy. Because after that, I did get pregnant one embryo, but I got pregnant. And I'm like, what a great way to look at a situation that I felt was so traumatic and crumbling. And now to look at it in the perspective of this is what I was being shown to be my future. So now I look at it differently, but it's still. Oh, at that time though. And it's so hard to step out and look from above when you're going through one of the hardest grief moments you could possibly imagine. It's so hard to have that broad picture. I mean, it is helpful sometimes when someone you trust can bring you there, but so often people you don't trust or who give advice that like actually is really annoying, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> when you're just like, let me grieve. I'm just grieving. But I guess just going back, what a, what a powerful story and visual. How did you get to that point of donor egg? Knowing that you want to be a parent, but not knowing how that will happen, is a common feeling in the infertility community. That's why I'm so happy to partner with Donor Egg Bank USA. They are not only sponsoring today's episode, but also provide hope and support to those who may need a little help to build their families. A global leader in frozen donor egg, they offer access to a diverse catalog of qualified egg donors and dedicated support every step of the way. Once you've made your donor selection, Donor Egg Bank USA is ready to ship your eggs directly to your clinic. That means there's no risk of donor cancellation or even the need for cycle synchronization, so you can start when it's convenient for you. They also offer a variety of financial plans, like the Assured Refund Plan and the Multi-Egg Lot Plan. Both offer a more financially secure path to parenthood than with traditional donor egg IVF, thanks to their live birth guarantee. Bring home a baby or receive a 100% refund. Visit DonorEggBankUSA.com to learn more. And now back to Camille's story as she tried to build her family with help. So I actually had a friend who had a baby via donor, but her donor was her sister. Not that it makes a difference, but her child does look so much like her. So it does make it a little bit easier. And then she had a friend who had a baby via donor as well. But 
when I say that I was not going to give up, like I was not going to give up. I did not. I mean, every single time the doctor would, God bless him, Andy Wong would always present donor egg. And I'm like, get out of here with your donor egg talk. Like, seriously, every time he brought it up, I was like, do you understand? Like, it felt like he was telling my husband that I was like a bad egg. Not, you know, <laughs> wah, wah. but and he <laughs> did know. like yeah. that. He was, you know, it felt like speaking about a donor was a reflection on my brokenness and I hated it. And it wasn't until, well, we had 22, I think, of my embryos that we transferred and not one of them took. You mean over the five years of you doing IVF? Yeah. And we tried every, I mean, you become like a scientist, you know, you're like, well, we did this cocktail of drugs last time. Why don't we try this cocktail of drugs? Why don't we like stop my hormones altogether and rub them back up this time? Let's do fresh versus frozen. Let's do five day versus three day. Let's just do a complete, you know, I was a nut job. Yeah, we've all been there. I remember I always say I went around the world and back because I went through eight years and 18 fertility treatments. So we're, we're very similar in terms of the quantity of just treatments we did. Wow. But I always say I went around the world and back because I was like, now I'll do Ayurvedic. Now I'll do acupuncture. Now I'll try this thing that I heard about in Spain. Like you just end up <laughs> going cuckoo because some things got to work at a certain point. Yeah. And then people, it feels like sneeze and get pregnant by accident. And then you are doing, I mean, if there was an award, our entire audience would win best effort. Right. There's no question. Right. <laughs> right. But, but after, like, if it's merit-based, we're, we're winners. That's for sure. <laughs> we are. But at what point, so your 22 transfers or cycles, that's craziness. Yeah. And you knew people who had gone through donor conception. Yeah. So then what? I still wasn't on the gravy train. No, I still wasn't. I was like, I had got another show that was shooting in New York. And I was like, oh, I read about this doctor. He is the guru doctor. This guy's going to get me pregnant. He does this thing. And that's it. This is the guy. Well, I happened to be able to get in to see him. I'm like, that's a sign. This is working. I go in to see him. He's like, oh, I could definitely get you pregnant. Number one, ladies. Never no. trust someone who says they will definitely get you pregnant. Because I'll tell you something, the protocol that this person put me on was supposed to launch me into a plethora of follicles. And the day that I was starting my medication, you do the baseline test and they couldn't find not even one follicle. Oh my goodness. And I was like, well, that's never happened before. Can you look a little harder? He's like, Maybe there's one in here, but now the, and the person, the nurse who was checking me out was like, you said you were starting tonight. You definitely should not. You should you should cancel the cycle. And by this point, my AMH levels dropped to a point one. Oh, my God. So this was the time that I started to consider. I had to consider something because I kept on saying to myself that I and to my husband, I'm like, I'm not going to stop. Because it's a gamble, right? And they tell you, all you need is one, all you need is one, all you need is one. But all you need is one, but you need one that's healthy. And, and you know, now at this age, I was 41. 
And it was, you know, we're getting a little tricky if even if the embryo did take, like how, what would that embryo look like? Was it going to be healthy? And so I, at this point was the point where I really went through a massive grieving, a realization that, because I was looking for a sign, you know, I prayed for a sign. I'm like, I'm not going to stop until you tell me to stop. And when the doctor was like, you have no follicles to work with, I was like, okay, this is the sign. Awesome. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> it comes yeah. feels like shit. Yes. I thought the sign was going to be a pregnant belly. Right. So my husband really wanted his DNA. And that also was a trigger for me. You know, I was like, well, why do you get to and I don't get to? And, you know, to bring some levity to it, I was like, my DNA is better. I've heard that from others. Who <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> You're right, a freaking what? maniac. I don't have, I'm not a maniac. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I wake up on the sunny side yeah. of the bed. You wake up with, I don't know, why? So I was like, are you sure? You don't want just an even playing field here. But I think it was, you know, the utmost in FOMO, choosing a donor, having a donor. And I thought about, you know, I really, I'm an actor, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, so many things, imaginary circumstances, making them your reality. So I was like, okay, what would this feel like to put another woman's egg in my body? And I just couldn't wrap my brain around how that would not be that child would not be mine and that I would just be this host and that I would be nothing more than that. And I just didn't feel this connectivity to like, to this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I'm not going to feel like I love this child. This is not going to be my child. This will be my husband's child with this other woman. This will be, you know, I mean, I mean, I went there, there was like, it was like a dating site when you're on these, you know, Donor Egg Bank USA, right? That's yeah. I know you didn't use them for with your your cycle. No, but I did go on their website. They have a very extensive. Actually, I really like them, but they do have a very extensive list of candidates, and you get a lot of information. So, what were you looking for? I mean, at the time, I was looking for my doppelganger, and now I tell people like it doesn't matter because I went through hell and back trying to find my doppelganger. And my baby ended up looking exactly like my husband. So (laughs) my girl looks like my husband and it's my egg. So it all does. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I think like the main things to think about is to just find healthy donors. Like that's number one. But yeah, you know, and I think it's for me, I was looking for my doppelganger so that it would make me feel better, you know, but and at the end of the day, it didn't like I wanted someone who I, I would always request videos. I'm like, I want to see videos. I want to see their personality. I wanted someone who had a similar personality to me. And I mean, I think I found, well, we found two donors that actually the one that we ended up using was our first choice, but we actually went with our second choice that didn't end up working out in that story that you heard earlier. And then we went back to our first choice and she was the one that ended up being the one. <laughs> the one, the one, the one. I guess um, what a journey, what a, what a 
path to parenthood you've had, when you were in the hardest part, you had so many hard parts, I know, but in the hardest part, maybe in that scene that you talked about or when you saw the blood and you were mourning that in that moment, what would you tell yourself now? What would you tell Camille now when you were in that moment? Wow, gosh, that makes me so sad. But I think like sad in a good way, but I think I would tell that girl, you know, to not give up your babies out there. And it's, it's so interesting to think, I mean, not interesting, but it's such, it's a mind bender to think that if any of those embryos would have worked, I never would have had my son that I have now. And I could never imagine life without him. And I know it sounds so cheesy, but it's so true that even if that first donor that we chose, if she didn't ovulate all her eggs, she didn't make that mistake. I would have had a completely other family that I would have loved, obviously. But gosh, I just can't imagine not having this little boy in my life right now. So, I mean, happy accidents, man. I just, you just can never know your path. But I'm just so happy that I was open also to this, to acceptance of a donor as well, because I never would have even experienced becoming pregnant. It's incredible. You know, and what that brings. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so inspired listening to you. I know you brought your whole heart in the story because you're <laughs> you're an advocate. You want others to... You know, I get why you share your story, because you went through so much to build your family. And how can you stay quiet about that when others are struggling and can't see a path? Is there anything you want to add? I mean, I just always say one of the reasons why I talk about it, too, is to like it is to diminish the shame and the stigma in it, because, you know, families are built in so many different ways. And why hide something that became such a beautiful story for us. Like I keep, I always say we climbed the highest mountain when we are at the top now with our little family. And I absolutely love it. Is it the way that everybody does it? No, but there are so many ways to create your family and we should be celebrating them and not hiding them in secrecy because a lot of people still don't want to talk about it. And that's up to them. They absolutely don't have to tell people, but there's a difference between sharing your information and keeping it a secret, right? Like you can keep your information private, but to keep stuff a secret is, is hard. And it's also hard for you. I know when I was struggling hiding and not sharing, it was much more lonely than when I was vulnerably coming out and, and just being honest. And then the community, the connections we make through the storytelling. And yep. we, we understand each other. We don't need to know each <laughs> other, right? It's like an instant, oh, yeah, I've had that yep. moment or yep. something that felt like that. Thank you again for being on the Fright podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to another episode of Pregnantish, where we cover the extraordinary lengths extraordinary people go to to create their families. Until next time.